All right. Well, are we ready to jump into the message this morning? Kids, you ready? Y'all have been doing such an awesome job the last couple months. I've been impressed. Like, you're ready, Abby? Yes. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, let's pray one more time, and then we're going to continue in our series on faith. God, I thank you that um, you invite us to trust you and that we can do that because you are trustworthy. God, that you are always faithful. You are always sure. And God, as we continue to unpack what it means to put our faith in you and for that faith to become action in our lives, God, I pray that our foundation would be first and always rooted in you, who you are, what you do. God, I thank you that we don't have to to earn your good graces. God, we don't have to somehow prove ourselves to you through effort. God, we get to trust you and take you at your word and then watch what happens when we live as if your word is true. And so God, would that truth get anchored into our hearts today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so as, as we continue moving into this series, we've been establishing a little bit about faith and what it means, what it looks like. And as we move into the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about that intersection where faith really becomes action. And, and truthfully, I, I don't believe they're supposed to be separated at all. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And so actually in these first few weeks, we've already seen some action taking place. The first week, we looked at our starting point of faith being not our move towards God, but his move towards us. That he loves us, he calls to us, and he is with us. And so the first action of faith is that God moves towards us. Then our our next action of faith is to believe him, to take him at his word, that who he is and what he has to offer is right. And that not only can I trust the Bible, the word of God, but I can trust the God that the Bible is teaching me about. So I don't just look to the principles that are written there. I look to the living God that that Bible is telling me about. And so it's an act of faith to look to him and to take him at his word. And that's our, that's our first action step back, to choose to believe. And then last Sunday, we began to talk about what it looks like to pursue him in spite of obstacles. Those obstacles can be our own shortcomings where we feel too small and like we don't have what it takes. Or the obstacle can be the mountain itself, the thing that's in front of us that just feels too huge and too overwhelming. That the truth is that in spite of those obstacles, we can pursue him and we'll find that he gives us victory. Not only can we pursue him in spite of those obstacles, like we kind of should pursue him because of those obstacles. I need him. I need him. And so he takes us as we are with what little faith that we have. It's enough. And so we start there. All right, so this morning, we're going to talk about having faith to fight. Having faith to fight. Now, over the next few weeks, we'll cover some different territories. And I just want to say that that I believe strongly that we need to be encouraged as believers to fight for some things. I, I know and understand and experience a lot of seasons in my life that require endurance. I get that. There are seasons where it's hard and I'm not necessarily seeing what I would call victory. I'm feeling like I'm not seeing God come through. 
And, and we're, we're going to talk more about those seasons next Sunday, okay? Next Sunday is going to be faith to endure. But I just have to say, I think at times as believers, we lose sight of the fact that there are victories in life. That, that God, like, actually helps us overcome stuff. That he sets people free from addiction. That he heals the sick. Like, God does things on behalf of his people, and he invites us to trust him for that. And he actually calls us to some places of action to, like, fight for some things that are worth fighting for. And so my hope this morning is that we would just find some courage to lean in and have faith to fight. Um, we're building off of this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've kind of been focusing on the leftovers. I, I don't know how familiar you are with Hebrews chapter 11, but it starts off with what's often referred to as the hall of faith, and it just starts listing these Old Testament heroes of the faith who've seen, seen God do amazing things in their lives as they've, as they've trusted him. And the writer of Hebrews starts to get down to the end of that chapter, and we've kind of picked up where he left off, where he says, hey, I don't even have time to talk about some of these other people. And so in verse 32, he says, and what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who we've looked at over a couple of weeks, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, that's who we're talking about this morning, and Samuel, the prophets. Now, look what he says these folks experienced. Verse 33, who through faith conquered. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They, they helped those who were experiencing injustice in this world. And they enforced justice. He goes on, they obtained promises. Yes, absolutely. There are promises that are future, that are yet to come, for sure. We live in a broken, fallen world. We're looking for a home we don't have yet. But, but God answers promises today. And they watched God fulfill promises. They watched him stop the mouths of lions. He quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, and they put foreign armies to flight. Amen. There, there is a victory for God's people. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at one of the characters mentioned here. We're going to take a look at the story of David. Anybody familiar with a, a little story called the story of David and Goliath? Yeah. How many of you guys are like, Jake, you could sit down and just let me come up there and tell that story real quick, and we get out of here fast. <laughs> Asher, you got it. I know you do, bud. All right. So what I'm hoping is that we can build off of a familiar story that we know and make sure we're catching everything that is in there that God has for us. And so we're going to be doing that by looking at three key things that we can understand about the victory that David won. Because newsflash, he defeats Goliath, right? He wins, takes that slingshot out, sends that smooth stone sailing, nails him right in the forehead, drops him, slays the giant. Little David shepherd boy kills the giant. How did he do that? Three things we need to understand. Number one, the, the giants, plural, that David faced. We need to understand all the giants that he faced. Number two, we need to understand David's weapons. And number three, we need to understand David's advantages. 
I know he was an underdog, but he actually had surprising, some surprising advantages if we pay attention. Y'all ready for this? All right, David's giants. The very first giant David faced in the story was not Goliath. David shows up on the scene where Goliath has been coming out and antagonizing God's army, his people, for 40 days. He's been challenging them to send out a warrior to face him, and he's been taunting them. And so David comes into a scene that we're just going to get a feel for here. I'm going to read you a few different verses. This whole story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Right now we're going to read verses 11, 16, and 24 just to get a snapshot of the atmosphere amongst God's people who are facing this giant. Beginning in verse 11. When Saul, that's the current king of Israel, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They're terrified. For 40 days, verse 16, the Philistine came forward, took his stand morning and evening. So they're dismayed, they're afraid, and there's total inaction. They're stuck. They're just repeating this ongoing process of feeling stuck in their fear and their worry. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So, so David shows up in an atmosphere of fear, of doubt, of discouragement, and it's growing. That fear's getting bigger by the day. And their inaction, where no one would go out and face this giant, they didn't just stay still, they started going backwards. They went from just standing there, knees shaking in fear of him, to like when he would come out each day, they just take off and run and hide. This is the atmosphere that David was facing. It, if we don't recognize and acknowledge that when it comes to facing giants, there are gonna be times where we're around an atmosphere of discouragement, and fear. And the sad truth is, this was happening in the midst of God's people. This wasn't outsiders. Like, this would be our version of, like, the church. Like, within our own church cultures, we can experience an atmosphere of discouragement and fear that just gets dismayed when trouble comes. When I'm facing that same giant again. And it just feels like, God, not again, not one more time. I, I just don't know if I can handle facing this one more time. And it can, it can just build up into this place of inaction and fear and discouragement. And we just feel stuck. Anybody ever, ever been there? I've lived there. And we can get to a point where it's so tough that we just tuck tail and just draw back and just, just get into survival mode. And so that's the atmosphere that David is in. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room that had a feeling, that had an atmosphere that just permeated the room. But you walk into a room like that, and not only is it incredibly difficult to change that atmosphere, it's pretty difficult for you not to just join in with it. We're influenced by what we're surrounded by. And so David shows up on this scene, and the first giant he faces is the dismay, the discouragement, the fear that's already happening all around him. 
And then if that wasn't enough, he got to spend some quality time with his older brother. And so Eliab, the eldest brother, David's the youngest of eight. And so his eldest brother finds him because David's, you know, he's, he's pretty confident. He's starting to talk a little trash. He's like, who's this giant everybody's scared of? He's kind of, he's shaking off the fear. He's not being sucked into discouragement. He's like, man, we, like, let's, let's take this guy on. What's going on? And his brother sees him. And now in verse 28, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. So now David goes from not only being in an atmosphere of discouragement and fear, he's being directly attacked by someone who's supposed to be his brother. He's actually being beat down by his brother. And look at some of the things going on here. His brother's angry with him and is questioning his motives. He's even saying, I know what's really going on with you. You're just this cocky, arrogant guy and questioning his very heart, his very attitude. David's just saying, hey, let's have some courage and face this giant. Guys, I have to tell you, there are people in this life who have accepted their stuck places. And when someone else shows up on the scene that's not going to stand for it, the first battle is not with the enemy out there that needs to be defeated. It's with the people in the house who want to keep the status quo whose own faith is being challenged by your faith. You gotta watch for that. And it'll be a voice that will challenge your motives. It will question you. It will demean your identity. He's, he's saying to him, you're being irresponsible by being here. You left the sheep. Oh, and by the way, those few sheep, yeah. right? So it's like, you're being irresponsible and you're really not that important anyways. That is not our identity in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We, we are called to stand and fight. And so what I love about this is, you know, the first giant is this enemy that's kind of around David that is the enemy of fear and discouragement and even accusation. But you know how you fight that enemy? You just block it out. David didn't go attack his brother. David didn't challenge him to some like, oh, really? You're challenging my manhood here? Let's go, big brother. <laughs> Let's wrestle it out. Let's fight it out. He doesn't do that. He is able to walk through the midst of that because the truth is that first enemy we encounter is actually other broken people that need help. And in the same way that we can be attacked by them, if we are not careful, when we face the enemy of discouragement and fear and accusation, we can turn on the very people that God might be inviting us to be a part of helping. 
See, when I'm willing to fight my giant and see him slayed, there is potential for others to go, now wait a minute. I can be encouraged by that. I can be strengthened by that. I can see God show up too. See, the victory David won over Goliath impacted all of God's people. And so instead of turning and fighting with each other, we recognize that the first giant is fear, discouragement, accusation, and we just walk right through the crowd. And we keep our eyes focused where it belongs. Find the real giant. All right? Y'all got that? Okay, the second giant. I'm not going to dwell on this very long, but I just think it's important to note. The second giant that David faced was trying to be like somebody else. Because when word gets to the king that David's willing to go fight Goliath, Saul calls him in and is like, well, okay, buddy, if you're going to fight him, let me help you out here. Here's all my armor. Here's my sword. Put all this stuff on and you can go get him. You can go fight him. Look at this, verse 38 and 39. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go. I love that. He's like stuck. He's like, man, I can't do this. Not only was it probably not the right size or the right fit, he wasn't accustomed to it. It wasn't his armor. He wasn't trained in it. Thankfully, David spoke up and said, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Guys, there will be temptation in our life to try to compare ourselves to other people. And some of the the hardest comparisons are actually the people that feel worthy of trying to compare yourself to. Like this is the king. And the king's saying, hey, come be like me, come fight like me. And David has that pressure to try to take on what is Saul's and try to be Saul. Guess what's gonna happen to David if he goes out trying to fight in somebody else's armor? He's done. He's done. The second giant that we face is comparison. It can be comparison because well, man, I'm feeling like something's wrong with me when I'm seeing this other person who, like David was talking about, they're on the mountaintop right now. They're doing great. They've they've got some victory. Is there something I'm missing that I'm not doing right, that they're doing right? Is there favor from God that they have that I don't have? Or maybe... I'm so busy trying to aspire to be like this other person who seems to have a relationship with God that I'm missing the fact that who I am and the relationship that I have with God is enough. In fact, it's just right. It's what's needed. And so instead of getting trapped in that battle of comparison, I can do like David and throw that off and say, you know, I'm gonna stand up and be Shannon in this fight. Because Shannon is what's needed right here to face Shannon's giant. Not comparison, but, but trusting that who we are and what we bring to the table is enough. The enemy will lie to you and tell you you're not enough. You don't have enough faith. You're not strong enough. You're too far gone. How could you beat that giant? You've lost to him 39 times before. Why would day 40 be any different? 
you don't measure up. And one of the quickest ways he can try to get us to feel like we don't measure up is to get us looking around at other people. The truth is, what we're looking around at often isn't reality anyways. You know, Saul from the outside looked like this great king. The Bible describes him. He was like this tall, good-looking guy. Like he was probably the first tall, dark, and handsome, right, that showed up on the scene. Like that was his demeanor. He looked like he had all the qualifications. The truth was his heart was far from God. The truth was he's one of the ones hiding and afraid. Why would David take on his armor? Saul's not willing to put on his own armor and go fight. And so David's able to throw off the giant of comparison. Okay, the third giant. Now we're at Goliath. David sees past the fear, the discouragement, the accusation. He throws off this idea of trying to put on somebody else's armor. And now he's able to identify the real giant. Now, I want you to understand something here. Let's not take this for granted. The fact that David was able to get to this point is already a miracle. Everyone in that camp is doing everything they can to keep him from going out and facing that giant. And David navigates through the whole thing and he gets his eyes on the real giant. And this is who that giant was. Back in verse four, um, the, the writer here kind of describes what Goliath looks like. So let's check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. The giant, the primary giant that needs to be faced and overcome. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Everybody got that, six cubits in a span? Just some standard, like, English measurements there for you. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. You got that one too? 5,000 shekels of bronze? Okay, great. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung over or between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I don't know what that is, but it sounds really intimidating. A weaver's beam. I mean, doesn't that just sound like some really manly tool? And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bear went before him. His shield was so heavy, it required a whole extra person to carry it. All right? This guy is armored up. Okay, so here's what I've got for you. These are, and th this might surprise you, these are the most conservative estimates of how tall Goliath was and what all of this stuff weighed. There, there's a range because um, there's some debate about exactly what the measurement of an ancient cubit was. Generally speaking, it was considered the measurement from the tip of your elbow to your middle finger. But if you haven't noticed, we've all got different sized arms and hands. So, uh, so it could have been as, as small as like 18 inches is a cubit up to like two feet. All right. So based on the most conservative measurements, where am I? Oh, there it is. Based on the most conservative measurements, Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. All right, most conservative. His armor that he was wearing weighed 125 pounds. Just his armor weighed that. In fact, that spear that it was describing that had that kind of sharp edge to it, that just the edge of the spear alone would have weighed 15 pounds. Think about that. 
Just the edge of a spear weighed 15 pounds. Imagine picking up like a really long staff and the, the end of it weighed 15 pounds and just trying to balance that right. And that's what he just take and toss it like a dart. All right? This is an intimidating figure. Now, I want, I want you to understand something. David shows up in a shepherd's outfit. He's already decided, I'm not going out there with this armor because I have no idea how to wear armor or use armor like this. So he's walking out there just a dude in jeans and a t-shirt, basically. And this is what he's looking at. This nine-foot-tall giant of a man that is not only arrayed in full battle armor, he knows how to use that armor. This guy's a warrior, a trained warrior. This is what he's looking at. Here, here's why I slowed down long enough to say that. You know, we glance through these Bible stories and just go, these are like those old kid stories we heard growing up. But yet, when we're facing our own giant, it's very real to us. And we recognize how big and intimidating it is. David did too. David wasn't denying the existence of the giant in front of him. He also wasn't pretending like he wasn't as big as he was. David faced the reality of the giant that was in front of him. Not only did Goliath look the part, but like he sounded the part. Like he was brash and intimidating. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. He's calling out their manhood. Verse nine, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. He looked intimidating. He sounded intimidating. He was intimidating. That's the truth of the giant that David was facing. All right, do, do we understand the context now of what David's facing here? Discouragement, fear, dismay, the ability to compare himself to somebody else and take on things that aren't him. And then ultimately, he's standing facing this giant who's huge and intimidating and overwhelming. Those are the giants David's facing. But David's also got some weapons. He's got some weapons. His first weapon, check this out. When Saul's kind of quizzing him, dude, are you sure you're gonna go face this guy? I don't, I don't really know if you've got what it takes, buddy. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Now, now, here's what he's saying. I didn't sneak up and kill him. I walk up to the lion and knock him in the head and he drops the sheep out of his mouth. That's what he's saying. I, I scare him, basically. I let him know, hey, dude, I'm here and you're gonna let go of that sheep. And so he'd knock the lion and it would drop the sheep out of its mouth. And then he continues, and if he arose against me, so if the lion didn't get the first hint and decided, oh, you wanna take the sheep away, if the lion arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> I'm impressed by that. I don't know if y'all are. Dude, 
what he's saying is, it doesn't say he would roam around and look for lions to antagonize. He said, my job was taking care of sheep. And every now and then, somebody would come along and try to pick off one of these sheep that I was responsible for. And so you know what I would do? I would stand up to that lion and I'd get my sheep back. You know David's first weapon? Preparation. It has been devastating over the course of my life in ministry to watch how many people wait until the moment when they're facing their Goliath and then start realizing, I need help. I'm not skilled in walking with Jesus. I'm not connected into his family. I don't know what it looks like to battle or to fight. And they're just sitting there devastated and overwhelmed. And listen, when you face like the real Goliath giant in your your life, it is overwhelming. It is intimidating. But it's not as intimidating as it is if we're unprepared. Guys, we've got to learn to protect today's sheep. And we've got to learn to fight today's lions. If we hang back in complacency of normal everyday life, we're going to be devastated when the giant shows up. But if we realize God has actually given me, you, you have territory. You have territory that belongs to you. It belongs to him, but it's been entrusted into your care. And we've got to learn to take care of that territory. So how do I care for my kids? How do I, how do I care for my spouse? And then, oh man, in my relationship with my wife, there's a lion showing up trying to tear this apart. And I've got to learn how to fight for that. Not fight her, fight for us. And see, when I'm willing to honestly face the lions of the day to protect the territory I've been given, I may not realize it, but when the actual giant shows up, I'm going to find strength I didn't know I had because I've been being prepared all along the way because I bring faith into today's moment. You get what I'm saying? Don't wait. Recognize it. And so this is who David was. He cared for sheep. He fought the lion. Um, I'm not going to stop and read it here, but other places in this passage make it clear that he had a reputation as a worshiper. He wrote some of the Psalms he's famous for sitting out there in the field with those sheep. And so another weapon that he has that we're going to get to in a moment, he knew about it because he was practicing what it looked like to worship God in his everyday life, to take care and, and protect what he had been entrusted with, and fight the lions that would come along and try to steal. Does that make sense? That's his first weapon, preparation. Yeah, he'd never faced Goliath before, but he'd been in some fights, and his faith had been built up because he had fought those fights. If we're willing to fight today's lions, we'll be equipped for tomorrow's giant. That's the point. All right, the second weapon. What's the second weapon that he used? You know what it was? whatever was available to him, (laughs) whatever was available to him and what he was comfortable with. And so after he goes through this whole scene with Saul and now he's going out to face Goliath and he sees the giant there, then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it says, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. So so you with me so far? Stick, rock. So we got so far, okay? (laughs) Goliath, armor, weighs 125 pounds, nine feet tall, his own shield bearer, all right, we're tracking. Stick and rock. 
He puts him in his shepherd's pouch. Okay, he's got a merce. Great. You know, David, I was feeling like you were pretty manly until suddenly you're wearing a fanny pack or a merce. I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. All right, puts him in his little pouch. I just like to imagine with like just a little fanny pack. Just tucking it's a satchel. <laughs> his little satchel. His satchel and his sandals. He's ready to roll. All right, I'm off track. <laughs> you know, that youth pastor in me just comes out every now and then. You, you do that for 15 years, and it's just there. Um, so he's got his stick. He's got his rocks. They're in his little pouch. He's got his sling. And then he approaches the giant. With a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The courage on this kid to think, what I have right here is enough. Here's what I'm familiar with. I'm used to walking around with like a walking stick with a staff in my hand. I'm used to like guiding the sheep, correcting the sheep with that staff. I'm used to taking rocks in my sling and like hitting stuff on the fly. Like I'm used to that. And that's what's right here available to me. And that what I have is enough. Do you understand that? What I have is enough. I don't need to look around for all these other tools I'm not sure I have. So many people think, my, my pray, I don't know how to pray. My prayer life's terrible. Use what you got. Do you have a voice? Oh, God, help! That's a perfectly reasonable prayer. In fact, if you start reading the Bible, you'll realize it's one of the most effective prayers. That prayer acknowledges all I have is a voice and I realize I don't have enough, but you're enough. And so David had the courage to go, hey, what I've got right here is enough. And what's interesting, I think this is so cool. You know, the stick, think about the stick for a minute. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Did did he use the stick in the fight? Did he walk up and like whack Goliath on the shins? No, what did he defeat Goliath with? The sling and the stone but he brought along the stick. Why? He had it. It's here. I've got it. And, and you know what? That stick actually becomes a surprising advantage. It becomes a surprising advantage. I, I want you to watch this in just a minute when we get to David's advantages. Stick, rock, fanny pack, slingshot, let's go. Now, thank goodness that preparation and sticks and rocks were not David's only weapons. Because the ultimate weapon that he had was his God. And he knew it. That's the thing. He knew it. It's not just enough like that God is big and does rescue. It's important that I know that personally about my God. He's my God. And my God is big and he rescues. This is like a kid who knows my dad is big and strong and he'll beat up your dad even though you might realize if you're the dad, I don't know if that's actually going to go that well for me. But your kids don't think so. Like, that's my dad, and he's got it. That's the mentality we have with our father. And David had that mentality. Verse 37, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, even his victories that he'd had in his past preparation— He wasn't taking credit for him. He didn't say, I'm going to cut Goliath down because I know how to cut down lions and bears. He said, man, God saved me all the time from lions and bears. I just knew the sheep were in trouble. And I was probably too dumb to stop and realize I'm going to get eaten. So I just went after it and rescued the sheep that I'm in charge of. And man, God rescued me from the lion and the bear. And he'll do the same thing with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And David knew that God would be with him. Listen, this is kind of, that's kind of been the message of these last few weeks is realizing in spite of our obstacles, we serve a God who's bigger and stronger and he's with us and he loves us. And whatever small amount we bring to the table, it's enough because he's got it. And that was David's true weapon. So that's the giants, that's the weapons. Really quickly, David's advantages. You know, we think about underdog stories. Um, They're underdog stories for a reason, right? There's a reason why I'm not expected to win because my opponent has clear advantages that everybody can see. But what we don't think about is how often underdogs actually have surprising advantages that no one acknowledges. All right, first of all, you know what David had an advantage over Goliath with? He was quicker. He's younger, he's faster, he's quicker. In fact, the story even describes it as they go out to meet each other. It says David ran to meet him. David is a moving target. Not only does David have the advantage of being faster or nimbler, he has an incredible advantage that we don't realize at first glance. David has the advantage of a sling and a stone. Now, I don't know if you're thinking about about this clearly, so let me help you a little bit. You ever heard the phrase, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? Goliath had a knife. David had a gun. We don't think about that. Goliath had to wait for David to get up close, stand still, you little rug rat running around, I can't catch you. And then let me whack you with this sword. That's what Goliath needed. Like Goliath couldn't even carry his own shield. Somebody else had to kind of run around in front of him to help him with his shield. Like like David had some advantages. I'm not diminishing the giant. I'm just saying we have advantages we don't realize we have. He's quicker, he's nimbler, and he's fighting with a superior weapon. We think stick, rock. I was being silly about it earlier. But actually... Man, he takes that sling and gets that thing whirring. And if he knows how to be accurate with it, he is whistling this rock through the air like a bullet. And he takes Goliath out with it. He's going to the knife fight with a gun. He's got a huge advantage. And finally, I love this. David had clear-sighted perspective and Goliath underestimated his enemy. The same is true with the enemy in our lives. He speaks down to us. He accuses us. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's he's called the voice of the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. He tries to, to roar and talk intimidating just like Goliath. And it's easy in our own eyes, living in the world that we live in, to feel like we don't have the advantages. This world is broken, it's failing. Man, I'm just trying to survive and navigate through. I'm trying to keep my kids safe in a broken world. And we don't realize we've got advantages. The enemy can be defeated. And David was clear-sighted. Check this out. Watch Goliath's blindness here. This is now in verse 43. The fight is on. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You know what the brilliance of David carrying that stick out there with him was? Goliath's paying attention to the stick and missing the six-shooter. 
Like he's, he's focused on the wrong thing. He sees the stick. You're coming out with a stick? I've got a sword. Sword versus stick, sword wins. But Goliath is missing it. He doesn't see the real advantage of his enemy and he's about to be toast. But David is clear-sighted. He has proper perspective. He's got the right weapons and he's ready to, to take advantage of the advantages that he has. And so the Philistine comes to David or says to David, come to me, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's the truth. When we're being mocked, we're not being mocked, he is. And he takes that seriously. You ever had somebody mess with one of your kids? Like you can mess with me and I'll, I'll put up with a lot. You mess with one of my kids and it's like, I'm getting angry in a hurry. I, I've said some things I sort of regret <laughs> to people who've messed with my kids. I mean, you, you don't do that. And David understood that about his God. He's saying, you're not just defying me and calling me a dog. You're mocking the child of the king. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm not just gonna do this so I win. I'm gonna do this to bring God glory. When our giants are defeated, God gets the glory. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David understood God's got this. He's my biggest weapon. He's my biggest advantage. I may look like an underdog, but the enemy doesn't know what's coming. And so the real challenge for David was to be able to navigate through the fear, the discouragement, the accusation, to cast off comparison and be okay with his stick and his rocks and his God and know that that was enough. My prayer for us is that we would find faith to fight. We are not alone and we have what it takes because he's with us. Let's fight the day-to-day -day battles we're facing right now in the territory we've been given and trust that when the giant shows up in our life, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you give us courage and strength and faith. God, you're the very source of our faith. It's a gift from you. And God, all you invite us to do with that faith is to reinvest it in you, to pursue you, to trust you, to take the life you've given us that you've entrusted into our care and invite you to come in the midst of it, to help us tend and care for our flock and when necessary to fight for it. God, would you teach us not to lay down, not to shrink back? God, would you help us to navigate through a world that is beat down and discouraged and afraid. God, that even questions our motives when we do try to stand up and fight. God, we get in our own heads by comparing ourselves and our situations to other people. 
God, help us face our giant honestly. Identify him for what he is. God, this, this addiction is my giant. But he can be defeated. By your strength and your might with me, that giant can be defeated. God, help us to know our giants, to use the weapons you've given us, and to recognize the advantages we have in you.